Good evening. One of the most famous mugshots in history, the former president of the United States, is released. What is RICO? Guilty until proven innocent? The Espionage Act and its use, the death of Prigozhin, and the effect of war on the environment. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for the week ending Friday, August 25th, 2023. It wasn't Donald Trump's first picture or his best, but the one released Friday of the scowling former president digitally embossed with the star of the Fulton County Sheriff's Department is arguably his most famous. It was taken moments after Trump was booked on more than a dozen felony counts charged with conspiring to overturn the election he lost to Joe Biden in 2020. It was Trump's fourth indictment this year, but the first where he was made to suffer the indignity of a mugshot. The former president and candidate in next year's presidential election now faces a total of 91 charges in federal and state courts. But even as Trump's fans cheered the photo as a hair shirt symbolizing his persecution by the deep state, Trump's enemies reveled in the irony of a man who rose to power against Hillary Clinton to the chant of, lock her up. Speaking at the tarmac before his jet whisked him back to his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey, Trump was unbowed. When you see these thugs being thrown into the back of a paddy wagon, you just see them thrown in, rough. I said, please don't be too nice. Like when you guys put somebody in the car and you're protecting their head, you know, the way you put their hand over. Like, don't hit their head and they've just killed somebody, don't hit their head. I said, you can take the hand away, okay? The word thug is generally regarded as racially charged speech, typical of a man who built his political career on the backs of the weak and powerless. In more news, President Joe Biden and First Lady Jill Biden toured the devastation of the historic city of Lahaina on Maui on Tuesday. Biden consoled survivors and thanked first responders after the worst wildfires in a century. The country grieves with you, stands with you, and will do everything possible to help you recover, rebuild, and respect culture and traditions when the rebuilding takes place. The fire has worsened a chronic shortage of housing on the island, adding to the drain of native-born Hawaiian people from their homeland. Meanwhile, a nonprofit is flying in prefab housing manufactured by a Hungarian company. The fire destroyed about 1,800 homes, and the tiny 160-square-foot homes are said to represent a new era in the recovery effort. They're being erected by a consortium of Hawaiian carpenters. The homes were flown in by NATO on Sunday. And the threat posed by rapid climate change brought on by fossil fuel emissions is being made worse by the world's military, especially the United States Department of Defense, says Code Pink peace organizer Marcy Winograd. The Pentagon is the largest single institutional consumer of fossil fuels and emitter of greenhouse gases. The war in Ukraine, it's imperative that we end this because the ultimate environmental nightmare is the threat of nuclear war. And we'll be hearing more from Marcy Winograd later in this broadcast. Code Pink has launched its War Is Not Green campaign to stop military greenhouse gas emissions. According to their website, the U.S. military is the world's largest oil consumer and causes more greenhouse gas emissions than 140 nations combined. The war in Ukraine has been funded by over $100 billion of U.S. funds. Winograd says the money would be better spent fighting global warming. And despite opposition from neighboring countries, Japan will begin dumping radioactive water from the Fukushima nuclear station into the Pacific Ocean on Thursday. Japan's Prime Minister Fumio Kishida 
on Tuesday. One and a third million tons of water, enough to fill 500 Olympic-sized pools, have accumulated since a 2011 tsunami destroyed the plant. The water, containing radioactive hydrogen known as tritium, will be released over 30 years after being filtered and diluted. The plan was approved by the IAEA. Nuclear plants around the world regularly release wastewater with tritium levels above that of the treated water from Fukushima, including the Indian Point nuclear reactors, about an hour's drive up the Hudson River from New York City. Meanwhile, Hong Kong said it would immediately activate import curbs on some Japanese food products. Both South Korea and China have already banned fish imports from around Fukushima. And in national news, Massachusetts Governor Maura Healy's fundraiser on Tony Nantucket was interrupted by protesters from the group Climate Defense chanting, End Fossil Fuels, Maura, End Fossil Fuels. Boston real estate titan Bruce Persley confronted one demonstrator. The fossil fuel industry bought you out. The fossil fuel industry gave you $50,000. End fossil fuels, Maura, End Fossil Fuels. Maura has power and she can help save us, but, but she's not. But your rudeness prevents you We're from gonna talking die. to her. Personally, told a protester from Climate Defense, I don't care if you die. In more national news, John Eastman, the right wing constitutional law expert who advised Donald Trump on his failed strategy to overturn Joe Biden's 2020 election victory, turned himself into authorities in Fulton County, Georgia on Tuesday. We will vigorously contest every count of the indictment in which I have been named and also every count in which others are named, for which my knowledge of the relevant facts, law, and constitutional provisions may prove helpful. I am confident that when the law is faithfully applied in this proceeding, all of my co-defendants and I will be fully vindicated. Eastman was booked in the racketeering case against him and 18 other defendants, including former President Trump. Eastman's bond was set at $100,000. The former president's bond was set at $200,000. Former President Donald Trump was indicted earlier this month and charged, along with 18 co-defendants under Georgia's Racketeering Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, a.k.a. RICO. The law was meant to go after organized crime and drug traffickers by throwing a net over loose associations of alleged conspirators. Over the years, the feds put the brake on RICO as the war on drugs has abated, Georgia has held to RICO more tightly and recently threatened to use the law against protesters arrested at Cop City, a proposed police training facility in Atlanta that's drawn sometimes violent protests. One of the attorneys representing the Cop City demonstrators is Stanley Cohen. RICO came out of actually civil process, civil cases, which in the early late 60s, early 70s, where people shared a common interest you were dealing with corporations and people played different roles within the corporations and the and the corporate structure was committing a, a corporate tort and they wanted to sweep or charge as many people civilly as possible who played some role in it. From that spun off the federal RICO statutes, and which are somewhat different and more demanding than apparently the Georgia state RICO statute, which I have been looking at because of concerns around the so-called Cop City case. I don't see it as some sort of quote-unquote sinister way to attach criminal liability that others are not, are not accountable for, because at the core of RICO, it still requires overt acts from players 
It still requires knowing informed and voluntary participation, and it still requires overt acts in furtherance of a criminal wrongdoing as a substantive event. If anything, the strength of RICO, like the co-conspirator exception to the hearsay rule, is it permits the introduction of evidence that is not classically admissible, perhaps, uh, under strict substantive or straight conspiracy prosecutions. In a RICO prosecution, the parties may not know each other. They may not speak to each other. They, they may not deal with each other. But there has to be a commonality of a prohibited or prescribed end which people understand. You still have to prove they understood that it was prescribed, prohibited, or criminal in and of itself. But there's a connectivity among players. In law school, you learn that there are these things called sub-conspiracies, where you can have a single conspiracy and six mini-conspiracies that add up to it, where conspirators in one web don't necessarily know conspirators in the second web or the third or the fourth. But at the end of the day, if all the webs share a common end, which in this case was underwriting, denying, and violating the election laws of the state of Georgia, it becomes a racketeering conspiracy. There still has to be knowledge. There still has to be overt acts. There still has to be a prescribed, prohibited end. The mere fact that 25 people get together and they want to chant the state at a demonstration doesn't make RICO. The mere fact that 27 people who don't know each other want to get together and shut down a bridge because they individually believe it's a principal position they're taking doesn't constitute RICO. What it requires is persons agree with one another or with others to undertake or individually certain acts that are directed and knowingly violate it's the electoral process of the state of Georgia. You know, I, we live in times where the Martians are coming on lizard people's backs to get other folks. That's not the way it works. RICO came out of organized crime cases not because they couldn't prosecute people for organized crime activities, but it was as much a decision as an evidentiary involvement under federal law and state law, which expanded the admissibility of evidence in, in conspiracy cases that otherwise didn't exist. Another question I get is, what is a racket? What does racketeering mean? Why do they use the term conspiracy? A racket still has to be a prohibited end. The fact that 22 people get together to go to sit in at a nuclear plant doesn't make it racketeering. The fact that 16 people who don't talk to one another commit overt acts in further of an end result that is prohibited under the law is called racketeering. It's just another fine term of art of the law. There's nothing, you know, no new level of consequence by virtue of the name. Prosecutors love to step up there and scream in front of a jury racketeering because it connotes a certain even more pernicious and evil level of, of criminal wrongdoing than conspiracy. It's a word. That's all it is. It doesn't mean you've got to, that, that the government has proved beyond a reasonable doubt an agreement among parties to carry out a prescribed end, whether they know each other or not, through overt acts that can be legal, the overt acts. It's being used in so many ways in Georgia. It's being used to go after the so-called rappers. It's being used to go after community groups. But at the end of the day, it's opening up a broader conspiracy. It allows the introduction of evidence that might not be otherwise admissible in a classic conspiracy case. Does it provide an additional benefit to the government of the state and their burden of proof? Of course it does, not because the burden of proof has been changed, 
but the padlock to evidentiary limitations has been unlocked and they can get information and evidence in in cases that they might not otherwise be able to do. What people said on a telephone call that wasn't associated with the direct event that happened. When you've got someone saying on TV or recorded or there's a communication that says, I know the election wasn't fixed. I know that for damn sure. And that person is later connected to a racketeering charge with a substantive end may have something to do with trying to prescribe, limit, or to prevent an electoral process, that becomes an admissible tape, whether they are, in fact, a named defendant or not. It gets around the co-conspirator exception to the hearsay rule, but simply goes to state of mind. It goes to the broader picture. That's where it becomes admissible. There's something called the co-conspirator exception to the hearsay rule. One, you have to establish the existence of the conspiracy among partners or parties to it, And two, you have to establish a statement that is otherwise hearsay was made in furtherance of the conspiracy. With RICO, with racketeering prosecutions, there's a lower burden to get statements in. Watch your mouth. Robert, you say it could be come around to haunt you later on. My position has always been, it's funny, when folks ask me to set up a Scepter 3 Charlie 7 Bravo security on my phone call, my response is, if the government isn't listening to me, then who the f*** are they listening to? In more news of the Trump arrest in Atlanta, the former president returned to the social media formerly known as Twitter, now known as X. Trump's post on Thursday showed his mugshot and appealed for money. Last year, Elon Musk, the billionaire, readmitted the former president to Twitter after being banned for hate speech. And the charges in Fulton County were the latest in a string of prosecutions and grand jury investigations targeting Trump. He's charged with 34 felonies by the Manhattan District Attorney, alleging he falsified records. He's facing another 40 counts in a federal case in Florida, claiming he mishandled classified documents. And in another federal case in the District of Columbia, he's been charged with fraud related to the January 6th near coup at the United States Capitol. In the Florida case, Trump is charged under the Espionage Act, a century-old law targeting sedition. Its recent targets have been WikiLeaks editor Julian Assange and a plethora of federal whistleblowers, including former NSA translator Reality Winner, another whistleblower, former CIA case officer Jeffrey Sterling. He did more than two years in prison for cooperating with New York Times reporter James Risen in a story about Iran's nuclear program. Sterling says in his case was the added dimension of race. Your guilt has been established just from the fact of being charged. Um, I think it would have been easier. The nature of the Espionage Act is, I mean, with such charges, the government really doesn't have to show any harm. It doesn't have to really produce any evidence that the defendant can look at. And it's just by the nature of being charged, because courts have bent over backwards. If the government says, well, this is classified and it deals with national defense, courts rarely, if ever, challenge that. The Espionage Act and Trump really don't really have much to do with anything. The Espionage Act has nothing to do with espionage uh, espionage or any natural defense of protecting this country. It all has to do with the way it's been used. It has right. to do with retribution by the government. But in Trump's case, I think they use it not so much out of any concerns of espionage, but because it gives them such a strong hand against it. Look at all the espionage cases, espionage act cases that have been brought against whistleblowers. Most of them end in a plea and a prison term. 
because you cannot defend against the espionage act. Right. That puts the ball completely in the government's court, and you really don't have anything to do with it. In Trump's case, I think they used that because there was a plethora, there was a plethora of laws, tons of laws that he has broken. Right, and I'm right. not even talking about the speculation with regard to what the government is saying. Hell, just listen and look at what he's put, Trump has put on social media and what he's just thrown out there himself. He's admitted to keeping classified documents. He's admitted to talking about those documents with individuals who uh, had no uh, basis to have that information. There are plenty of laws, but I think they use that because, you know, they're going up against a former president. What's the best way and to keep it the way we want it to be? You know, and He'll make it a joke, especially because he is sort of a mafia. It's turning out that he is more like a mafia don who got into the White House. His defense will make a joke of the whole thing. I think so. I think it's going to be even more of a show trial than mine was. We're talking about a man who, during his presidency, held prior to his presidency, during and certainly after, he has felt himself above the law. Yeah. And he has had far too many people, enablers, supporting that viewpoint of his. So now it, it, it's just coming to this circus, the seriousness of being charged on the espionage. I mean, you know, my They're case, trying to add a certain seriousness to it that what that might... Absolutely. To, they say, wow, you didn't just run a clown show out of mar lago The only basis for them using the Espionage Act against whistleblowers, and I think, unfortunately, or otherwise, against Trump, is that it is probably one of the most powerful weapons to come at a defendant and not really have to defend, because no defendant can put up a defense against it. You have, there's nothing you can say other than plead, and that's what happens to most people. I was the exception. I, I went to trial because I wasn't going to plead to something that I didn't yeah. do. Even in the face of the espionage. You took act, a big you know, chance right with that. You took a big chance Absolutely. by going into trial. Absolutely. I, you know, I went to law school. I understood the law. I knew what I had to deal with. I knew what I had to I knew what the government had to prove against me. But mainly, I knew I was innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. But in the face of the espionage act, a trial by jury is just an inconvenience to the right. espionage act. They plead guilty on yeah. purpose because they, they, they're they being offered two, three, five years. They're taking all this resources, all this effort to mm -hmm. bring a, a trial. How many times have you heard or seen instances where the CIA has been in a public court and willing to give up their sources and methods you know, in a public trial? Well, that's what happened in mine. It basically just became a show trial. So the government's going through all of this effort and resources to use the Espionage Act. You know, they're going to want to return on it. Former CIA whistleblower Jeffrey Sterling. And you're listening to the news from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. The BRICS group of emerging economies wrapped up its summit in Johannesburg on Thursday. Current members are Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. They decided to add six new members, Iran, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Argentina, Egypt, and Ethiopia. Among the attendees, besides the president of South Africa, were the leaders of Brazil, India, and China. Vladimir Putin of Russia stayed home. He faces possible arrest under a U.N. warrant for his role in the Ukraine war. And the plane crash that apparently killed Yevgeny Prigozhin also killed six of his top lieutenants, according to a passenger manifest. Prigozhin led the mercenary Wagner Group that was behind a short-lived attempted coup in Russia. He was a close confidant of President Vladimir Putin. On Thursday, Putin offered condolences to the crash victims and their families.
First of all, I want to express sincere condolences to the families of those who died. It is always a tragedy. Indeed, if there were, and according to the initial information, Wagner Company employees were on board, I want to note that those people made a significant contribution to our common cause of fighting the Nazi regime in Ukraine. We remember this, we know this, and we will not forget this. I knew Prigozhin for many years, since the beginning of the 1990s. He was a person with a complicated background. He made serious mistakes in his life and he achieved the necessary results, both for himself and when I asked him for the common cause, as during the past few months. He was a talented person, a talented businessman. He worked not only in our country and with good results too, but abroad too, in Africa in particular. He dealt with oil, gas, precious metals and stones there. As I learned, he returned from Africa only yesterday. He met some officials there. The head of the investigative committee reported to me this morning. They have already begun a preliminary investigation of this incident and it will be conducted fully and completed. There is no doubt about this. We will hear soon what the investigators say. And in the Ukraine war, Russia says it destroyed a large-scale drone attack on the Crimean Peninsula. The attack came two days after Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, said it was his aim to deoccupy Crimea. And one consequence of the war has been the destruction of the environment in the war zone. In June, the Kakovka Dam collapsed, flooding 10,000 acres. Both sides claimed it's an ecological disaster. At the Zaporozhizhia nuclear power station, largest in Europe with six reactors, Russian troops have been in charge since the war's start, with shellfire often landing close by. The coordinator of the peace group Code Pink is Marcy Winograd. She's launched a campaign, War is Not Green, claiming the climate crisis and militarism are intertwined. At the top of that list is the blowing up of the, of the Nord Stream pipeline that released something like 300,000 to 500,000 tons of methane into the ocean. And methane is 80 times more toxic than carbon dioxide per molecule. This was an environmental crime in and of itself. War is an environmental crime. Look, we see the Ukrainians, we see the Russians firing at each other. All of this is causing havoc. It's causing tremendous air pollution, water pollution, land contamination. A lot of people don't realize 50 to 100, aside from the tragedy of tens of thousands of people, we don't even know the body count of Ukrainians and Russians. We also are hearing reports from scientists that anywhere from 50 to 100,000 Black Sea Dolphins corpses have washed up on the shores. The scientists aren't sure if it's because the water is contaminated, because of exploding mines, or perhaps because of the noise, the deafening noise from these warships. But you can see what it's doing to the dolphins. People may not realize Ukraine is one of the most biodiverse. Well, I think it, it has a third of the biodiversity of the entire European continent, 70,000 species. So we, we can't keep on in this trajectory. People say, oh, you can't let Putin win. He's Hitler. I, suddenly, Hitler is reincarnated all over the globe. We know, Paul, you know, this war was provoked over years and years of NATO expansion, U.S. intervention in Ukraine. That's not to excuse the Russian invasion, but to say we understand that the security interests of all of these stakeholders need to be addressed in order to preserve our environment. We have to bring up the opportunity cost. 
when you are funding a war in Ukraine, as we are doing already to the tune of about $110 billion, President Biden is now asking for $24 billion. He wants congressional approval for that. That's money you're not spending on climate. We promised, Western countries promised the global South, we were going to give the global South over $100 billion each year since 2009 in climate reparations. We have yet to make good on that promise. What about the dam uh, that was blown up, flooding the uh, Neper River, and I hear that's causing, it's considered one of the great environmental disasters of, of our history. Yes, we know that there are four, I think four nuclear power plants in Ukraine, 16 reactors. Zaporizhia is uh, most at risk, at least that's what we read about in the news. And this in and of itself is uh, a threat that we can't even imagine. Well, we know what happened at a previous nuclear meltdown in Ukraine. That was disastrous. Mm-hmm. And we don't never want to see that happen again. Eventually, we need to phase out of nuclear power because each nuclear reactor is like a, a potential weapon, right? They're sitting targets. They lied to uh, us they, about that too, right? Right. They've lied to us about a lot. And so, you know, I would just urge people who are listening to step up and speak out. Let your representative know that you don't want to continue this war, that we need a diplomatic solution. We need a mutual ceasefire. We need to hear Biden and every member of Congress clamoring for a mutual ceasefire. Instead, ceasefire and peace become radical words. People say, well, we can't have a ceasefire because then we're giving in to the use of force. That would be appeasement. And really, honestly, haven't we been appeasing the warmongers among us for many years with NATO expansion to Russia's border? With all of these war games, quote games, that what a euphemism, Russia with the establishment of ABM missiles in Romania and now Poland that could be outfitted for a first strike, this is appeasement. We don't want to necessarily assign blame right now. What we want is to end this tragic war. Marcy Winograd is coordinator of the peace group Code Pink. And that's the news for the week ending Friday, August 25th, 2023. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.